Broadcasting from the UNMC College of Nursing, get ready for RN Huddle, the podcast dedicated to bringing hot topics for and by nurses to the table. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to RN Huddle. This is your host, Heidi Keeler, coming to you from the College of Nursing, Omaha, Nebraska. And today we are continuing our conversation on ostomies, and we are going to talk about all things ostomies such as moldables, assessing peristomal skin, and other related conversations. So again, this is a conversation of our discussion on ostomies. This is a part two. So if you haven't listened to part one already, I suggest you go back and listen to that. And that way you'll, you'll have a good idea of where the conversation today will go. And so to do this, we're going to have our co-host, Renee Pollen, the all things wound nurse. And she is going to talk to three great colleagues, continuing the conversation with Ann Liff, Cassie Norton, and Chris Berkey. So without further ado, Renee. All right, let's get into now a few weeks post-op. What are we looking at? What are the changes we see? We're looking at products again, changing products. What advice can we tell our learners what to look for with their assessment as it changes? Typically, the recovery time, that's kind of what I call it, is usually about six to eight weeks. So they, you know, right after surgery, they have the the belly swollen, the stoma swollen, and those things are going to reduce. And so the stoma is going to change in shape and size. And so you're going to have to make adjustments to the cut size typically in this time frame, so that first two months, we don't usually put patients in a pre-cut wafer. Now, I won't say never, because I often do for various reasons, and I won't get into that today, but typically you're measuring and tracing and cutting the wafer each time that they're changing the pouch system, because we usually recommend pouch changes about every three to four days. Now, unless you're monitoring something, so let's say that incision line right around their stoma has separated a little bit, and so you've got a wound there and you're treating it, you know, with uh, maybe a little alginate and and some thin hydrocolloid, you know, you might want to change it every other day. It just depends on the amount of drainage and how deep the wound is. So that will kind of vary based on, on that situation. But typically in that first recovery phase, that first two months, you're going to be tracing and measuring and cutting the stoma with each wafer change. And the, and the patient and, their, and or their family or caregiver needs to be taught that. So that would be a big focus in that time. And then again, you may be using some convexity or you may be using a flat wafer. It just depends on the presentation of the stoma as we already discussed. And then you also notice changes in the effluent. So what's coming out of the stoma? Urine is urine. So it's always going to look the same or it should always look the same. Obviously, if it gets bloody or odorous, then that's a problem. So, you know, you would need to notify the surgeon. But otherwise, uh, as far as stooling goes, initially, as Ann mentioned earlier, right after surgery, usually it's more liquid because they've usually done a bowel prep unless it was an emergent ostomy. And so usually the first things you see out of the stoma are gas or a little bit of mucus. And then as they progress their diet, what's coming out of the stoma will progress as well. Yeah, Chris, like you said, the stoma, um, they'll have to get their supplies out again and keep cutting and monitoring that stoma as it decreases in size. And a good telltale of that too is the leakage or the redness around the stoma. You'll find, oh, okay, 
it's decreased in size. I need to cut that hole a little bit smaller now because we're getting some irritation around there. So that's always a good assessment too. Sometimes I just take off the wafer and then I assess, okay, what's going on? Or look at underneath the wafer, which direction is the fluid going? Actually look at the dressing underneath. So that's another good tip to look for. And then I guess moldable, do you guys use quite a bit of moldable? No, why is that? What I say is, as far as the moldables are concerned, the moldables I've worked with, I've tried to use them on the ileostomy patient and it just doesn't work. They melt too fast. They create a bigger hole and they actually create more issue. The moldable type that I do use or have tried to educate on are for those patients that have manual dexterity issues and they can't use the scissors to actually physically Mm -hmm. cut around and they have an oval pouch. And so it's easier to teach them moldable in that circumstance, but it, it's, it's rare that, that I use that. Well, and one of the problems with that, Cassie, that I found is even though they may have some dexterity, if they're pincher grasped, so their thumb and finger together, because you need that grasp to mold it and pinch it into place. And if they're weak in that, that moldable, even in the both styles, because there's two, two brands that have kind of a moldable type wafer, but yeah, so that's where I kind of agree with you. And, and if the effluent or what's coming out of the stoma is pretty liquid, I find the moldable just tend to absorb uh, way too much. And they, like Cassie said, they kind of wash or erode and don't always function real well. Now, going back to when we're assessing the peristomal skin, we're looking for redness. We're looking, is there fung- fungal issues going on when you see those satellite lesions, the redness and then the red spots moving? Then you may need to use some antifungal powder, maybe what I, that's what I used at least. And then 3M or, you know, my, what I had at the time, the barrier film swab over the antifungal powder to kind of crust it in to help treat. And then also help so that a lot of times with that yeast on the surface, it's hard to stick the wafer for it to apply. So you have to treat what's underneath let it dry, which can be challenging if you have effluent coming out. So have all your supplies ready. I know we mentioned that in one of our other episodes, but have everything ready and treat. Take your time and um, you should get a better adherence. Sometimes to contact dermatitis, when you see the redness, you wanted to maybe switch products. You guys have experience with allergic reactions? Well, and you have to be a little bit careful about throwing out the allergy thing. So I I have a theory in my own head as far as these people are in a a post-inflammatory state. And so their skin is super sensitive. And sometimes if I patch test them, so like a dermatologist would patch test with products, they don't end up being actually allergic. Um, And in talking to dermatologists, they've kind of agreed with with my, my theory there as far as, you know, maybe they're just really irritating to their skin. And I'm not saying there isn't a product in there that isn't irritating, but it's not a true allergy. So I always am a little bit careful about that. I like using the word contact dermatitis because that encompasses not only that inflammation, but also a potential allergy. But back to your point about the the fungus, and I want to throw this out because I see a lot of people use Nystatin powder. And, And my one hang up with Nystatin powder is it only treats one thing, which is candida. And it's a yeast within the fungi larger group. So I almost use more of, a, of an antifungal powder. 
Now the problem is it's not often covered by insurance. And so that's why you always see the nice statin powder because people can write a prescription and they go pick it up and they don't have to pay much out of pocket. Um, but you can buy the over-the-counter antifungal powder pretty inexpensively and use that and you'll get more bang for your buck because now you're gonna cover all the different species that could potentially be growing on their skin. And we don't usually test for that unless somebody has failed, uh, but now we're getting into much more complex dermatology issues. The other thing I wanted to address here as well is when there are these issues with the peristomal skin breakdown and particularly with the yeast and the fungus is that, that the pouching system needs to be changed every other day. Some people get stuck in their mind that, well, we change a pouch on Monday and Thursday and Tuesday and Friday, but they don't, they don't recognize that in order to get this skin to heal, you really have to change that pouching system every other day until that skin heals up and looks normal again. And ideally, if it's not you know, too intense, that will be cleared within the first one or two pouch changes. If it continues past that, then you know, you, you're going to have to think of other things. But changing that pouch every other day during those situations is going to help that skin to heal. But also so you know that if it truly is a fungus problem, fungus is really hard to eradicate from the human skin and especially in a compromised patient. So I always tell patients, even though the rash improves, they can maybe back off on the frequency of the pouch change. So they can maybe go back to their twice a week, but keep using the antifungal for a full four to six weeks to get the full treatment. It's kind of like taking an antibiotic until you feel better and not taking it anymore. You don't want to do that. So it's kind of the same with the antifungal. If it's truly a fungal problem, you want to keep treating it. Yeah, otherwise it'll just come right back. Very good advice. I think we do need to touch base on one other thing that when it's huge with assessing why there's a leakage, assessing the peristomal skin, uh, what we do when we see creases, because we're going to have them sit up we're going to have them stand, lay down, and see where are these creases coming from. And once again, you're looking at the wafer and you see, oh, okay, there's some leakage coming off to the right side. And then I sit them up, there's a crease. And so that's when you use your strip paste, you know, stoma paste, fill in the valleys, make a flat surface for that wafer. Any other tips about that with creases? I use a lot of convexity. So again, it kind of depends on what we call the peristomal skin plane. So how, how soft and doughy is that belly? Is it really kind of a little bit more rigid and firm, but we still got some creases? Because that'll kind of dictate whether you're successful in using convexity. Not all convexity is the same. I know that, again, that's kind of beyond what we're talking about. But sometimes, sometimes just using that convexity will stabilize the, the skin right around the stoma and help get maybe a more shallow crease kind of flattened out and keep it, keep it flattened out, especially if you add a belt to it. That doesn't mean you may not use a little bit of filler with, like you said, some strip paste or just general ostomy paste. Uh, and just as a, as a throw out, ostomy paste is not glue. It does not make it stick better. Neither is barrier wipes or sprays. They are not adhesive. Nowhere on the package does it say adhesive. So they do not make the pouches. <laughs> we'll probably preach this in every episode. <laughs> All right. Great. Well, I hope that our listeners can take back a few of our tips and tricks today. Thank you, Cassie, Ann, and Chris for this great discussion and hope that, like I said, that our listeners can take away a few pointers and hopefully able to bring that back to practice when assessing 
the stoma, uh, peristomal skin, and using that information to help determine what product they need for their patient. We will leave a few resources for you on the RN Huddle site to help in your various settings. If you haven't already, please check out RN Huddle for our other episodes, as well as other hot topics in nursing. If there is a topic you want to hear, you can contact RN Huddle on their site. Thank you and see you next time. Well, this concludes our conversation about ostomies today. Again, this was a continuation of our part one of all things ostomies. And so I highly encourage you to go back and listen to our part one if you haven't done so already. But thank you so much for listening to our co-host, Renee Pollan, and our three wonderful guests, Anne Liff, Cassie Norton, and Chris Berkey, as they discussed some very difficult situations and how to handle ostomies in practice. So thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed this conversation, and we can't wait to bring you more content like this on RN Huddle. Tune in next time. Thank you for listening to RN Huddle. To stay connected, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at UNMC CNE or check out unmc.edu slash CNE for more program information.